Data has found that only 45% of Gen Zers say that their mental health is good or excellent. And what my study found was that 87% of these employees or Gen Zers want to see their company support their mental and physical well-being. It's actually 12% worse than the scores for millennials. Like we've seen that big of a fall. And also they're turning to their company for help. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about Gen Z, which is a topic that I know I'm excited to dig into. And I've actually heard from a lot of people that they are curious about as more and more Gen Z are a major part of the workforce today. So there was no one better that I could find to talk to about this than Melanie Wurzberger. And I am super excited to have her on today so we can dive into this topic a little bit. But before I welcome her to the podcast, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of background. So Melanie is the founder of Shaka, which is a software startup that she founded in 2019 to help companies build happy, top-performing workplaces. Shaka is actually a Techstars Anywhere company as of last year, but even more exciting to me, they are based in the Midwest, which as someone who is from the Midwest makes me incredibly happy. They're out of Iowa, so fellow Midwesterner. And she also has a master's degree in innovation, which is something that she has used to really think in a future-focused way about what we're doing at work. And I think it's going to have a big part in our conversation today. So welcome, Melanie. So glad to have you. Thanks, Jill. I'm excited to be here. As I get to know you, I feel like we have so much in common and this conversation is going to be really fun and energetic. Good. I know. Midwesterners, I feel like as soon as you know that about someone when you're from the Midwest, you're like, oh, we're homies. We're people. Yeah. (laughs) Get along. Yeah. We're probably cousins. Distant cousins. (laughs) Probably. This is probably true. (laughs) All right. So I had you on. We had a wonderful conversation after being introduced by our good friend Duncan. And we talked a lot about Gen Z. And I was like, you know, I really would love to have you on the podcast to talk about this because that generation is becoming more and more of a large portion of the workforce. And, you know, we've gone through so much change in the last few years, as you know, with work styles in general. But I was curious to know a little bit more about Gen Z. And you actually did like an interview survey of 1,000 Gen Z employees with the goal of understanding what they want from their employers and workplaces. So I don't think there's anyone more versed that I could talk to in this than you are at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I really, when I looked at this topic, there were so many conversations happening about millennials in the workplace. And here I was 26 and I don't fully identify with the millennial population. I'm right on that border. 
technically considered Gen Z in some studies, technically considered millennial in some groupings. But I was like, no one is talking about Gen Zers. And they are now a huge portion of your applicant pool, of your talent pool, of people who are on your team alongside you. So yes, I went ahead and I felt like this was a topic I was passionate about. I wanted to gather more information for companies on them. And I ran surveys, yes, with over a thousand Gen Zers. I made sure that they were over 18, even though the Gen Z population technically spans down to like 12 year olds right now. I didn't go that young. I wanted to know like what your adult workforce was thinking and feeling about their jobs and their careers. And I also did interviews with a lot of them so that I could really put some context behind the data I found from that large survey pool. I love that. And yeah, you kind of spoke to this already, but what is your definition of Gen Z? Because I know, and this is, like you said, there's so many definitions out there. I am what I consider an elder millennial and I fall in that category. It sounds like, like you said, you're kind of on the cusp there as well between Gen Z and millennial. But how do you define Gen Z for yourself and in the work that you're doing? Yeah. So from all of the research that I did, I most commonly saw the years 2012 to 1996, 97 being the birth years of Generation Z. For reference, I was born in 96 and that generation or that year gets pushed from millennial to Gen Z a lot. So they call them Xennials. They have their own name for them. But yes, 1996 to 2012. And that's right now in 2023. If you're listening to this, it's ages 26 to 11. That's a big gap. I will share. So I have baby sisters. They are not babies anymore. They are 21. Identical twins. We call them the second generation because they're 15 years younger than me, but they fall squarely into that Gen Z category. And so I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts for multiple reasons, but one just being to understand them a little bit more too. So, yes, that's fun. so fun. And I'm sure they're looking for their first careers right now. So they're going into the workplace. They are. It's been very interesting to get to use that knowledge and support them in a variety of different ways. I'll share this. I was just actually texting with one of them. I was like, oh, I'm going to send you this resume template on Canva. Can you just send me like the best email address? Because usually we text. I don't email them really. And so she sent back, which I'd never seen, just the like beginning part of an email, like not at gmail.com. And like, maybe this isn't even a Gen Z thing. Maybe it's just a her thing. But I'd never seen anyone not send their full email address. It looked like a username. And I had to like text back and be like, is that like a Gmail address? Is that a Gen <laughs> Z thing? Or is that just a her thing? It might just be a her thing. <laughs> I think it's a Gen Z thing. Like the assumption is there. They shorten anything they can, right? <laughs> yeah, it was the first like real life thing where I was like, oh, work styles, man, just a different. Anyway, we'll get into all that, but it did make me smile. And yeah, I think there's just always going to be these little things. It was the first thing I noticed as like a generational difference in how I would communicate. Before we get into the research, you touched on the fact that there was a lot of conversations and articles about millennials in the workplace and you weren't seen as many about Gen Z in the workplace. Is that what really drove you to do this research? Was there any other impetus behind why you sort of set out to do this? Well, with Shaka and with this research, I have kind of built this career around the future of work and making sure that 
the workplace is ready for the next set of employees, for the next big change and shift into this remote work. And so me constantly all day, every day thinking about the future of work, it just really naturally fit that Gen Z would be top of mind for me. On top of just noticing that there was a lack of information on this topic, I think my research also stemmed from the fact that I'm very passionate about helping companies be ready for what's next. And that includes Gen Z. I love that. All right. Well, let's talk about what you learned. So when it comes to the survey that you did, what does Gen Z want from their employers and their workplace? What are some of the like core findings that you took away from this? Absolutely. So one that will just not surprise anyone is work-life balance. I found a lot of information about what they want their life to look like. And a lot of people have said that millennials actually laid the groundwork for us to bring work-life balance into the conversation. You know, it wasn't really a conversation 10 years ago of how do we help our employees have work-life balance. It was very much so a hustle culture. And now what we're going to see from Gen Z, what I believe we're going to see from Gen Z based on my findings was that this is the generation that's actually going to put it into action, that you aren't going to be able to pull them or push them beyond their means. And if they aren't seeing that work-life balance definition, they're going to jump ship. So I think that just doesn't probably surprise anything. The other big theme I saw with Generation Z is individualization. I don't like to think about communities of people in buckets and studying generations that's it's very hard not to like stereotype or bucket people, but that's a little bit of what studying generations is, is putting people in groups. And one thing I notice with this group of people is that they are very strong individuals. You know, they were brought up to appreciate everyone's unique characteristics. Everyone's allowed to be themselves. If you don't have something unique or interesting about you, you actually probably were a less popular Gen Zer growing up. They want to be different. And I saw that trickle into their studies of how they'll behave in the workplace. They want their projects and their workday to be very curated to them. They want their manager to know them as people. When they are given a job offer, they want to see that the company is really interested in them. They aren't just trying to fill this role. So very personalized offer letters. Those things stood out to me as just the overarching themes, I would say, were work-life balance and individualization. I love also that you called out that this is a very stereotyping conversation in a whole. When you put a generation in a bucket, it is what it is. Obviously, this does not apply to every single individual in a generation. Nothing does. But I love the trends and I'm so glad we're getting to talk about them. I think it's so funny because I can hear everything you're saying and so closely resonate with it and know that the trends have been starting and moving in that direction. And I also work with a lot of founders and CEOs who are in their 50s and 60s who I think when they hear things like that scoff and have a lot of like oh, how nice Like that they think that that's going to happen. And I talk often about how I think there is a real wake-up call coming. And you hit it on the head when you were like, people will leave. We have already shifted from the generation where our parents stayed in jobs 
for 40 years, 50 years, pensions are not really a thing anymore. Millennials became known for job hopping. That was a thing that got talked about for our generation. With Gen Z, I don't think the workforce as a whole or the companies as a whole are prepared for just how quickly people will leave if they don't feel cared about. And so that's what really stuck out for me in everything you were saying is there really is this sense of, I want to have a work-life balance. I want to have this individualization. And if you can't give it to me, I'll go drive for Lyft. I will sell content on Etsy or build a Notion product. Like I just think more than ever, people are going to be very particular about who they give their time to in exchange for money. Absolutely. And two things you said really stood out to me. This didn't come from my study. It came from an external study I found. Researchers predict that Gen Z will have 18 jobs spanning six careers during their time in the workforce. And how I kind of read to understand that was they'll have 18 different roles that they take on. And then across those six careers means either they've jumped into six different companies or they've made a huge career pivot into a totally different department. And the other thing you called out is like, if they aren't entertained with their role anymore or don't feel appreciated or don't feel like it's delivering what they want in a career, they're going to get a side hustle. They're going to back off on their primary job. And actually over 40% of Gen Zers report that they have some sort of income from a side hustle whatever that may be. But I think companies just need to start really considering side hustles as like a primary point of maybe not even competition, but just another space that employees are are spending their time outside of your organization. I don't want to take us too far down a rabbit hole, but I spend a lot of time thinking about management. And I know that traditionally, right now we find ourselves in a position where management is underinvested in. And I mean that to say people get promoted to a manager role and then are pretty much neglected in terms of how do you manage well? How do you show up for your team? What does that look like? What are you responsible for? And I think more and more companies are going to be forced to redefine what management looks like in their organization and to give more space and time to managers to delegate to relationship building and to support because that's the only way people are going to stay retained and not be half checked out during the day, not working on their side hustles. Or, and again, we can get into a whole other conversation about work flexibility and like what hours and when people should be working on things. But I just, I really do think that this idea of management and how managers show up is going to change so drastically in the next 10 years based on this generation that's coming in and what the expectations are because retention is going to become an even bigger conversation. Anyway, that's my rabbit hole. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, a lot of my survey questions were around how this generation wants to be managed because I think that's what today's workforce needs to know is how do we make these employees successful? And it was very interesting what I found out. I kind of mentioned earlier that a lot of Gen Zers want their managers to know them as people. They want to be able to bring to you what's going on outside of just their workday. And not every human is equipped for that. Like you said, it is going to be more and more challenging to manage this generation. I also have a full team of Gen Zers here at Chaka. 
we are a very young team and I manage a lot of them. And to your point, I know that some of them have side hustles. I've actually paid to help them build websites for their side hustles. I've tried to find ways to support it. I've let them take time off because they're really interested in bettering their snowboarding and they can only do that during a certain season in the area where they live. So I just think that managers, you're right, they need a little more flexibility because they have to build very individualized career experiences for these employees if they want to retain them. And in my experience, it's paid off. I have very happy employees from the feedback I've gotten back from them because of the flexibility and the personalization that they've been given. The other thing that's kind of off topic, but that I found about how they want to be managed is these individuals in Gen Z like to have very clear instructions. They want you to define what steps would you take to do this? What's considered successful? What are my deliverables? They want to have this nice big outline plan of here's the project I'm going to take on, or here's the task that I'm ongoing going to be responsible for, and then let them run with it. And then check in occasionally, be there as a source for questions, check in occasionally to make sure it's going good, give them feedback on how they're doing. But pretty much across the board, when I was interviewing and speaking with these Gen Zers, that's the management style they wanted. They wanted to know, if I do X, Y, and Z, you will consider this a success and I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And now let me do it and go away. Yes. And by the way, I'm going to do it potentially at 10 p.m., not, you know, always in that same. And that's the flexibility piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I'm I'm reflecting already on like my linear thinking of like better management so that people are more focused on their job, which you automatically were like, wait, side hustles aren't a bad thing. And I agree with you. And still, I find my own resistance to that. So I think there's a lot of unlearning to be done and a lot of really good lessons to be learned from this generation. And I think it definitely will cause some friction and some learning and some growth between parties. But ultimately, I think it it means we're moving in a good direction. And there's just going to be a lot of learning on some of those skills that you talked about to not micromanage, to be accountable. How do you give good feedback? All of those pieces. So that'll be definitely top of mind. Mm -hmm. On every occasion I can think of that I know of one of my team members having a side hustle, because I knew about it, it's been able to come full circle and benefit our organization. For instance, one of my team members is also a fitness instructor. She teaches a few classes a week at Orange Theory. Well, we just released this new tool that brings fitness content to employees at home And she had every contact we needed to get personalized fitness videos built for Shaka. She had all these friends who were looking for additional income and they recorded professional videos for us. I mean, companies just, if you know about it, it can support your organization as a whole. It's when people are hiding it that Gen Z feels they need to hide what they're doing, that they're not going to be successful. Mm. I love that. And what a cool full circle moment. That's Mm. great. I love it. Of everything you learned, you sort of shared with us, you know, the ones that weren't maybe a surprise or kind of the high level takeaways of everything that you learned. What was the biggest surprise to you? So one big surprise to me, which this is a conversation that has just come to the forefront of the workplace was mental wellness. And I knew that Gen Z was probably going to be on the low end of this 
it surprised me how poor their scores were. And again, this came from outside larger research than just my studies. But data has found that only 45% of Gen Zers say that their mental health is good or excellent. So less than half of Gen Zers are in good mental health. And what my study found was that 87% of these employees or Gen Zers want to see their company support their mental and physical well-being. So you have this generation that has not great mental health. It's actually 12% worse than the scores for millennials. Like we've seen that big of a fall. And also they're turning to their company for help. And I just don't know that we are fully equipped with how to support them. The solutions just aren't in place. You know, we're seeing companies pick up extra benefits for mental health, but the conversations that are being brought to managers, to HR leaders, they just aren't equipped to handle. And I think that was really surprising for me. Another item that was surprising to me that, again, I knew it was going to be a little bit off, but I didn't know it was going to be this dramatic, was this generation was the least employed during their teen years. So a study looked at how many Gen Zers had jobs from 15 to 17 years old, and only 18% of Gen Zers had jobs in that age range. When you look at other generations, 27% of millennials had jobs in their teen years, 41% of Gen Xers. And when I take a step back and look at what I think is going to happen because of this, is that this generation's entering the workforce. They didn't have that young job experience. They had less of those customer service roles. They have less experience communicating with a manager. You're going to see some signs of unprofessionalism or of inability to communicate with others. And it's just because they have a few less young years of training in it. People need to help this generation navigate how you communicate with a customer and with a manager in the right ways because only 18% of them had jobs in their teen years. I am mind blown (laughs) by that statistic. I mean, I guess as someone who's had an official job since I was 15, those formative years of working in my teens, I can't tell you how influential they were. I mean, literally the reason I got my first job and I had had like these fancy internships with Red Bull and like these really well-known names. And like, that's what I thought was going to get me my job. And I will never forget the person who hired me looked at my resume and he was like, you've been a waitress for eight years. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you can talk to anybody. And it was a PR job that I was applying for. So, wow, that's crazy. Now I'm going to dig into that after we get off the call as to like why that shift happened. But that is going to have a huge impact because I do think that those jobs are formative to how people show up. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that paired with the fact that a lot of people are not going to be in offices for their first job. So I am a huge, huge remote advocate. I have been for the last 12 years. I've probably done a lot more remote work than most people have in their careers, and I'm all about it. And my first couple jobs out of college, I was in an office. And there are things that you learn when you're in an office environment that I don't think people are getting from being at home. I'm not saying I advocate 
people going back into the office for this necessarily, but I am curious, you know, hearing that other stat about them not having those experiences in their teens, then paired with the fact that maybe they're not going into an office and being able to see and experience some of the norms that happen there. Are you seeing that as something that is also playing into sort of maybe a stunted growth in the area of like professionalism and communication? I certainly agree. And I am all for remote work too. I'm all in on it. I think it is the future, but this generation doesn't necessarily want it because I think they're a little bit nervous about it. They don't want it right off the bat. So I'll rewind that and say, this generation is hesitant to go fully remote right out of college because of what you just suggested. They don't have all of the experience they need. And actually 95% of them told me they want a mentor. That could be another thing that helps them navigate this. But I asked Gen Z about hybrid and remote work and only 2% of my 1,000 respondees told me they wanted to work fully remote. 43% said they want to be fully in office. 55% wanted a hybrid experience. But only 2% said they never want the opportunity to come into their office in person. And I would fully bet that a lot of that is attributed to they're nervous about how to even navigate professional work. They haven't had those experiences before. And then I think that's coupled with they want to make friends at work. 94% of my respondents said, it's important to me that I have friends at my job. And for those of us that were in the workforce pre-COVID, a lot of us got to build those friendships and then step away. Or we're more matured into our careers. We're having friends at work isn't as important to us because we've established very strong personal lives. But this generation hasn't done any of that. And I think they're nervous about fully remote. I mean, that 2% is wow. <laughs> like, I, I didn't think that there would be full advocacy for remote, but I never in a million years thought it would be as low as 2%. That is wow. <laughs> Right. I am rarely at a loss for words. <laughs> that is that is a shocking statistic. And I know, obviously, sample size of a thousand people, but I think this is a really interesting piece for employers to be thinking about. I was actually having dinner last night with a former client and we were talking about their desire to be in office again and have an Austin office presence and what that would mean and what that would look like. And I actually mentioned that I was talking to you today because I said, you know, I think you have to think about, I was like, first you have to think about salaries in Austin. Can you pay the salaries that you need to pay in Austin to be competitive with this market? But two, I'm like, I just don't know with Gen Z. What do they want? Do they want to be in office? I said, I honestly don't know. So I'm excited to have this conversation. And I'm hearing now from you, it sounds like they do at least want to have part of their workday happen in an office. Yeah, they want to have the option. And I will say, so the majority of respondents were in that hybrid option. They want the flexibility to choose the days they want to be at home. But as this work from home experience has evolved. Remember, my data was gathered about a year ago, and I've followed this conversation. And we've now seen companies move towards like this summit model where we aren't going to pay for an office. Instead, we're going to allocate those funds to send teams to different locations for on-sites or send the whole company to an all-hands meeting. 
And I'm seeing that very strongly resonate with Gen Z because they get to build those friendships. They get to have some of those in-person experiences, but they still get the flexibility. So I think in some ways that my data is constantly changing and I don't get to measure that. But with that model, they don't get those communication skills or navigating you know, a one-on-one with your boss in person. They won't do that unless there is a, a hybrid office setting. I've thought a lot about what happens to community, especially you mentioned like the relationships that are formed. I had really formative friendships that started, you know, in my first couple jobs when we were in a, working in an office. That was a big part of it. I've thought a lot about how community works in a more remote focused work environment. And I do feel like there is going to be an uprising of location-specific, hobby-specific, passion-specific, industry-specific groups that are going to start to emerge and already have. I mean, there's always been that. But I think on top of what companies can do, I think there's going to be this reemergence of the importance of these groups in locations because it will give people a chance to like get together and build relationships with people who share similar hobbies, interests, professions, et cetera, et cetera. You're nodding your head. I don't know if you're seeing this. This is like everything Shaka is about. And we are working to get more intelligent so that we could like help your remote employee find their most likely friends at your company. Right now we we host more of those general connections and coffee chats. But yeah, we're working towards How can we help them with data find you're most likely to be friends with this person and then help them build that community remotely? Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way design the training in-house, I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, let's talk about Chaka. I was going to wait until, you know, we had gotten through all this data, but we're just, we're in an interlude. Let's talk about Chaka. What are you building? You just gave a tiny little preview, but tell us more. Yeah, so we're helping companies that, you know, have gone remote or have very distributed workforces. Maybe they're back in office, but they have lots of hubs around the world and they're struggling with employee turnover, or maybe they're not struggling with employee turnover, but to have great culture, they're spending tons of time and money on lots of different tools and programs and hosting all these different things. We're building one software that brings together all things culture. 
our early features were really focused on community and belonging. So pairing employees for coffee chats with people we think they'd connect well with, hosting employee community groups based on interest. We've now moved into like employee well-being so that that can be wrapped into our platform, you know, workout videos for the work from home employee, meditations that come right to you via Slack or via Teams. We're really trying to tie in every piece of that employee engagement cycle into one platform for the companies that have, you know, a hundred to a thousand employees and can't go buy seven a hundred thousand dollar tools. We want to be affordable solution that has every tool you need to engage all areas of your your employee base. So that's what we're really focused on. And as you mentioned, we're a startup. We came out of Techstars last year. We really value our early customers and feedback from people like your audience. So if people ever have ideas for us, send them our way. Yes, I have no doubt there'll be people who are wanting to connect with you. And we'll at the end, we'll do sort of a wrap up on where people can find you and how they can connect. But I love what you're building. I've loved what you've been building since you know we first were introduced. I think one of the sound bites, for lack of a better word, that comes out of my mouth at least once a week is everybody has a culture. The people who are intentional about the culture that they are choosing to build are the ones that will really succeed in the future of work. And that's what I see your tool doing, is allowing people to be intentional about the culture that they are building and giving them scalable ways to do that when people are remote. Because the reality is when you are hybrid or remote, there is always going to be some extra work that needs to go into building connection and community. I think it's worth it. I think the work, you know, we won't go into all the stats about remote work, but I think it's worth the extra effort, but there is extra effort. And I think that is what you guys with your tool are making more accessible for people, which is one of the things I love. Absolutely. So instead of falling to the back burner or the bottom of the to-do list, Shotgun can start automating those programs for you. So yeah, we're all on board with this work from home transition and also thinking about Gen Z and how it comes together. Yeah. I mean, none of us know. That's the thing is we can sit here and we'll talk about the trends and we'll talk about the whatever, but we are all rebuilding right now as a society, we are rebuilding and renorming what it means to show up for work and how we get work done and what that looks like and how relationships are built. All of it is in a bigger flux than it's been in a decade, more than multiple decades. <laughs> so I love that you guys are doing something and, and continuing to ask questions and be curious about what it is that might be changing and, and how you can support companies in doing that. It's huge. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what you see Gen Z sort of changing for the better when it comes to the future of work. You touched on it already. Millennials, I think, paved the way in some of our general desires, things we were vocal about, sort of how we showed up in the workplace. What do you see Gen Z bringing that is going to really alter the way we work for the better? I love this question. A few things come to mind. If I go on the more radical side of what I imagine this generation could do to our workplace, is I think if we fast forward 15, 20 years into the future when this generation is in leadership, I think we're going to see companies and their project loads work 
totally different. I think that every large company is going to have this database of here is what we need to accomplish this year, broken into projects and tasks and milestones. Here are the skills that are required for you to pick up this project. And here's how many hours per week it would take. Here's what will pay you to do it. And I think by the time Gen Z is in leadership, your career will actually be joining a company, picking a handful of projects that interest you, that your skills qualify you for, and then getting paid based on the projects you took on. And I think from a very radical mindset that work could change that way. I think it's just going to become very project-based and companies will need a new way to qualify that you are capable of doing the project. They'll need a new way to measure that it was done to the right standards to be paid for. And they'll need a new way to manage their set of employees that are doing these projects for them. So it will almost be like a company has hundreds of internal contractors. That's what I imagine could happen. In a less radical sense, I think that this generation would certainly push towards that work-life balance, towards building a career that they really love. I think in sabbaticals will become a lot more common with this generation. Think about the, how this generation's career started. It started with the COVID hiatus. They came out of college and everyone was like, I either can't get a job or I'm seeing my older sister just take these six months to travel the world. And it was very interesting and helped people define who they were and take a breath. And so I think this generation will champion more sabbaticals in the workplace, more balance. Those are probably the changes that I expect to see. And then one thing you mentioned is like, what's another positive, positive thing this generation's gonna bring into the next generation of work? And one of the real strengths this generation has is they're actually very ethical. They are ethical buyers. They want to do things that are right for the world. This is the first generation that's thinking like, we are going to run out of resources. How do we stay in front of this? So I think one big change this generation will be deemed responsible for championing and will be helping companies be more charitable, be more green, refusing to buy products that aren't created by ethical companies. I think that's another a twist on what this generation cares about that some people aren't necessarily thinking about. I don't even know where to start because I have like three things I want to. I should have paused so, in there. <laughs> no, no, I love this. That was beautiful, and I'm so excited that you shared all of that. So, I guess to go back to your more like quote unquote radical approach, I agree with you. I think we are heading towards a workforce that is highly distributed, very independent contractor driven, where people are tapping in a lot more to their specialties and things that they are very nichely specialized in. So I think you're onto something there. That is, it's going to be a shift. It's going to be chaotic in some ways. And I think it can be a really powerful model. So I'm with you in that boat. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the next 10 to 15 years bring. I'm excited for that world. Like imagine you could have a job, you have all your benefits, you have an employer, and then you get to pick what you want to work on for the quarter. And you get to pick whether you're picking up 30 hours of work per week or 50, 
because of the stage of life you're in. And you're going to know what you're going to get paid based on the effort you put in and the more specialized skills you have, the more specialized skills you have to qualify you to take on higher paying projects. And that just sounds awesome to me. I would be very excited if Gen Z can take this on. Please make that change. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think that there's some societal shifts that are going to have to happen in correlation with that. And, you know, one of them is the insurance industry, because I think what's going to happen when we decouple work from being employer centric. And I hear you saying, like, maybe there will be a main employer and that's where you get health insurance. I would love to see a world where health insurance is more easily decoupled from the core company that you work for, because I think well, I just think there's a general need for that. And and there is some of that, but the benefits are not as robust. They're not as affordable when you're out on your own. And so I think we need to see a shift in the insurance industry too, in supporting more individual contractors who find insurance through their own methods. So I think that's going to be one of those pieces. It also reminds me of the wellness piece that you were talking about in mental health. HR and managers and companies are not equipped to deal with, I think, the need that there is for mental health support. And I also think that it's a bigger societal problem. The lack of access to resources. You know, I am a very privileged middle-class white woman and the hoops that I have to jump through to get my ADHD medication is insane. (laughs) And so I think about all the people out there who don't. So I think there are some societal things that are going to be pushed on by Gen Z as well. I mean, Gen Z is this ethical generation who says, do better. That is how I see them, is this generation that says, do better, and we're going to hold you accountable for doing better, and we're going to do better. But we're just not going to stand for what you've been saying to us all along. Amanda Gorman, I hope she is a Gen Zer. That's who I think of when I think of Gen Z, Amanda Gorman, the poet. She just is like a beacon of hope, but incredibly intelligent, thoughtfully communicated ideas. And that's when I think of Gen Z, that's what I think of, is like this generation that's coming up and being not okay with the status quo and having the intelligence and the communication to push it forward, which is ironic given we just talked about a lack of quote unquote professional conversation skills in the workplace. But I think they have a voice. So there is a difference. I think they have a strong voice. One thing I've loved about this conversation as a whole, which was one of my goals going into doing these studies, was how positive our, I don't know, 30 minutes have been. So many generational conversations are very negative. And there are so many things that are going to drive people nuts about Gen Z. Don't get me wrong. That is going to happen But I think when we have conversations like this that are hopeful and look at the positives, that we begin to look at other generations and see the good change that they can make to our workplaces and to our world. I think every generation does. And every generation's going to feel, I was going to say crotchety. I'll just say it. That's what I imagine, like a crotchety (laughs) old man being mad at like the next generation. And like, I know that there's generations above me that were like, oh, millennials, <laughs> like so entitled. And I know that there's going to be pushback, like you said, and, you know, Gen Z, like, oh, who do they think they are? They're all going to be YouTube stars. Like I hear that one all the time. I think we have to see the positive because each generation does bring positive shift. And 
what we focus on expands. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. And I think we have to focus on those pieces and acknowledge that team dynamics are going to take work just like they always have. And there's going to be shifts and we're going to just have to sort of navigate through that. And that's part of the work I know you're continuing to do. That's part of the work I'm dedicated to continuing to do. And I think there are a lot of people out here who are more than ever thinking very futuristically and forward thinking. So I have a lot of hope for this generation coming into the workplace. I'm very excited about it. The irony of following up now what you just said is the last question I was going to ask is what expectations do you think Gen Z may have that they may have to adjust as they're going into the workplace? (laughs) That is ironic. That's funny. Yeah, let's talk about the one that drives everyone nuts. And as I present on this topic, I do workshops on this topic, this is always like the heated point of the conversation. Salary. I think that Gen Z has an extremely unrealistic idea of their first salary. And again, this is outside research that I found, but I read a study the other day that actually says that Gen Z is expecting a starting salary in the U.S. of $103,000. And it's on average $55,000 over what they're actually going to be paid. (laughs) Dang. When I say this, companies are like, yeah, I've been interviewing these employees and then I show them the salary and they are just out the door, unimpressed, or I don't show them the salary and I ask them in their interview what they expect to be paid. Obviously, they aren't well equipped to handle this question because they go right ahead and say $100,000 and they just lose their entire chance in that interview. Because the company thinks, no way can I afford them. And I think this might stem from a few sources, why they have this unrealistic expectation. I think it stems from social media. You know, we're constantly playing this game of comparison. We're seeing these influencers and what they have and what they buy. And they live expensive lives. And they're constantly throwing products at us. And these Gen Zers start to think, you know, to really afford this life that I see and that I aspire to, I would need $100,000. I think they also have a lot more information at their fingertips and that they're able to find people who were marketing associates that at some company made $100,000 and they find that on the internet and think, well, I'm supposed to ask on the high end of the range. And so just like the internet being able to bring that information to them and then their default of I should ask on the high end because people are going to negotiate me down also leads to that being skewed. And then when I advise companies on how to deal with this, What I tell them is, you know, this generation doesn't exactly quantify benefits well on their own. You know, outline for them when we give you two weeks of paid vacation, that's actually a $3,000 perk. When we give you benefits, that's actually covering $300 a month for you. Start to outline these things so that when they add it all up, it gets a little bit closer to the number they're asking for. And then the other thing I tell companies to do is along with the job offer, say you send a Gen Zer, 
a $50,000 job offer. Clearly, that's not the expectation this generation has. Send with it a suggested budget in their city of the life they could afford. You know, on this budget, you could contribute to your 401k. You could afford this level of rent. You could spend this much on food every week. I tell companies, build them a budget and show them the life they could have. And most likely, these people are coming out of college with no money, with no early jobs, and that life is going to look good to them. They just had the wrong number in their head starting off. But I don't know. Have you seen that salary expectation problem, Jill, in your experience? Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, I'm literally just been sitting here noodling on this. That's so interesting. So a couple of things. I think I had written this story in my head about Gen Z and how money wasn't the most important thing for them. And that ethics and flexibility and all of these other things were more important to them than money. I think I had written this story in my head that unlike millennials, the prestige and the paycheck didn't mean as much. And again, we're making sweeping generalizations here. So there's going to be people that fall in both categories. But to hear you share that, it makes so much sense. Because like you said, we become what we see and consume. What we know is what we consume. And I think there is more than ever this accessibility to idealized income of these sort of influencers and, you know, and even people who are quote unquote solopreneurs and I make, you know, six figures a month doing blah, 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 blah. I don't know what the thing is, but it checks out. It makes sense. And now I'm going to go and talk to some of my HR friends and see if they've been experiencing this because that's, I mean, I made 30,000 my first job out of college and granted it wasn't much. It wasn't anything, but I just felt so lucky to have a job. So it'll be really interesting to see in what you've learned to date and maybe just in some anecdotal things that you've experienced in your life through your peer group. I'm not obviously asking you to name names or specifics, but do you see people walking away from the jobs or do you see them being turned down and not accepted? Your kind of example of like, you know, they give this high salary and then they're completely... Of course, the employer is like, absolutely not. That's absurd. And now we're just taking you out of the running. What happens in your experience when they're told, no, the starting salary is 50000 Do they also tend to walk away then and go, oh, I'm going to find better elsewhere? Because that's, I think, the going to be the interesting behavioral part is like they may have to go through this learning of like, well, I really can't find that elsewhere. Or maybe I can't make that much driving Lyft or doing a side hustle. And so maybe it is an okay thing to go. I don't know. I have no idea. But I'm curious what you've heard or seen. Or I think you're spot on with a lot of my peers. I think they had to go through a learning. And you see them kind of like spray apply and spray interview. And every person does right out of college. You know, you cast all your nets. And I think they have to go through quite a few interviews. Maybe that is on the rejection side. I have talked to friends where they like can't find a job. And I'm like, why? You have a degree in chemistry, in chemical engineering. You should be able to get a job. And then we start digging into what they're looking for. And I'm nodding my head like, yep, no wonder you can't find a job. You're looking for someone to pay you $105,000 out of college. I think there's the reverse too of it just takes time as they hear a few job offers for it to level set with them. 
And that's why I think one solution is just to show them the life they could have, like I mentioned, on the salary you're offering, and maybe they wouldn't get so deer in the headlights look when you give them the offer or the number. But it's going to be a hard one, and I haven't seen it fully shake out. I will say one thing I think hasn't helped this is this generation has entered the workforce, most of it was after all the COVID layoffs. And if you think about the past two years, salaries have just been climbing like crazy. Inflation has been going crazy. Many of my friends have gotten jobs that are just surprisingly high paid for what they do, especially in the technology industries. In those spaces, jobs are paying a lot right now. And I think if we see an economic downturn, if we see, I mean, we're already seeing some layoffs. If we see the job market swing back, maybe this generation will have more of a reality check on those numbers naturally. But the economy has swung in the right direction for them, where some of their friends are getting those offers out of college. And actually, I did a sales role out of college and know my base salary was right around that $50,000 mark. But because I was just a hustler and I was selling, I was on track to make 100K in my first job out of college. And so I didn't help the statistic. (laughs) I was like the friend that everyone was looking at and was like, well, she can get that much. I want to try to get that much. But, you know, I think it was an odd one-off and it isn't the norm. And if the economy swings back, maybe that reality check will happen on its own. Well, and I think there's always going to be a learning around what certain jobs pay. So sales is just one of those jobs. Like if you can hustle and do that, you are going to bring in a lot of money and good on you. I respect the crap out of that. You know, if you got a software engineering degree, there's still a solid need for software engineers that really can add to a technology stack. Like you're probably going to make a higher salary. If you're going into baby marketing, maybe you're going to have a harder time finding, you know, 100K out of the door. And I think it is going to be a learning curve. I also think I have always been an advocate for, I'm laughing because I'm the word dream job popped into my mind. This idea that I think a lot of us have in our youth around dream jobs. And what does that mean? I think it changes for every generation. And I think it not only changes by generation, it changes by your time in the workforce. So things that might be really important to them now or may feel important, like having a $100,000 job. Well, yeah, maybe you can land a $100,000 job, but are you going to be putting in 12-hour days? Are you going to be? And that's not always the case either. But like, I think the working conditions, the type of work that someone's doing, I think all those things factor out. And sometimes you just have to experience it. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I love that people are negotiating. I love that we have a generation of women who know to ask for what they're worth. So more power to them. And yeah, it's going to be a learning curve as they go through that whole process. So like you that said, just they're young. Yeah, they're young. They they're still young. have that to learn. Yeah as we all do have things to learn. So it's just part of the process. But well, thank you for sharing that. I know the irony of asking that question after you had just talked about how positive the whole thing had been. But I still think it was a really good, interesting tidbit and important for people to know just in terms of education. Like you said, how you communicate the offer will be huge. And that's a really important nugget, I think, for people. 
We talked a little bit about management. I do want to ask you, I'm very, very big on sort of practical tips. Like I love that idea of offer them a budget when you give them the offer of like, this is what cost of living would look like in your area. When it comes to a manager Gen Z relationship, you know, you are a Gen Z who's been managing Gen Z, but is there any advice that you would have for millennials or Gen Xers who are managing Gen Z employees, things that you feel like are really good for them to know or that they could do to kind of build a better relationship? I think one thing we touched on earlier was don't expect them to navigate the communication perfectly, especially if you are an older manager that's used to like this very respectful hierarchy in the workplace. Give them some grace, teach them a little bit, guide them with how to communicate. I would say the best thing that has changed my relationship with my Gen Z employees that I manage is when we do like our quarterly review or our quarterly goal building. And these are normally work-based, productivity-based conversations. I double the time of them. I literally double the time. Half of the time is spent on our work goals, how you performed last quarter or last six months in work. And the other half of the time is what are your goals for you as a person over the next six months? Are you trying to move out of your parents' house? Are you trying to build your own blog? Are you trying to get your sommelier certification? Whatever it is, like I spend just as much time with my employees on their work goals as their personal goals just during this one conversation in the year. And then on our ongoing one-on-ones, I save the last five minutes to check in on those personal goals. And we're all human. So like when you're managing seven people, you actually do care about them. I know every listener out there, if they're listening to this podcast, it's because they genuinely care about the people they work with. You will naturally just find yourself supporting their personal goals or how you can make their personal life better. You'll learn so much more about them and it will kind of build that nice balance of like professionalism with friendship. So that would be my piece of advice I'd give to managers that's easy and actionable and free. I could not love that advice more. And I think that is the perfect way to wrap up this conversation because it is, like you said, it's free, it's actionable, it's something that people can start doing right away. And to be honest, I think that is a great Gen Z tip And just a great tip in general for anyone who is managing. It is the way we are headed. And I think it is a great sort of tool to have in your toolkit. And I love that idea of sort of doubling the time and making the second half about personal stuff. That's perfect. I love it. So tell us where people can find you, where they can find Shaka. I know people are going to be interested in learning more. Absolutely. So I'm Melanie. Our website is joinshaka.com. And my email is melanie at joinshaka.com. If you have any unanswered questions about the conversation or you want to learn more about Shaka or you want me to send you, I have an ebook on the topic, I'll send you a free copy. So you can email me and I'll get that to you. And yeah, check us out on joinshaka.com or find Shaka Culture on LinkedIn. You can find us there as well. I love that. And now that I'm hearing you say you have an ebook, we will find a way to link that in the show notes. You should still email her, but we'll also make sure that that's accessible 
for the team if we can do that. So Melanie, thank you so much. This conversation was nothing short of delightful. And uh, we are going to have to circle back again and sort of revisit what's happening in the world of Gen Z in the future. Yeah, in 10 years. We'll see if those radical changes have occurred yet or not. <laughs> Hopefully, perfect. The, I'm confident the Want to Work There podcast will still be around. And it will probably have millions and millions of listeners. And at that time, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to be like, you promised a conversation in the future. I want on that show again. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to, it's going to be you making time for me. Also, I feel like we're going to be holograms at that point. So we'll just like call <laughs> each other as holograms and be like checking in. But yes, putting it on the calendar officially 10 years from now, we will revisit this conversation and hopefully even before then. So we can keep checking Absolutely. in with you on a regular basis. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Melanie. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters. <laughs>